Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is April 18th, 2016, and I hope you got your taxes in on time. This is episode 160. My name is Jake English. I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to my voice right now, you're most likely doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You also can find us over at the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. And also check us out over at baseballtalkradio.com with a lot of other really great shows about baseball at large. You can find this show on a lot of third-party platforms, and we usually go through the list, Scott, and I do beg you all to go out and check it out on iTunes and make sure you rate and review the show. But interesting news today, Bird's Eye View is now available on Google Play Music to be streamed live on Google devices through the Google machine. So make sure you go find Bird's Eye View on Google Play Music, and we will have the link for that in the show notes today. Last but not least, find us on social media. Do you know that Bird's Eye View Snapchats? Uh, no, Bird's Eye View has a Snapchat, but we also have uh, Periscope. We're on Facebook, but you can basically find us on Twitter where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And Scotty, with that, it's time. The most important time of the week. What's your drink of the week? Jake, my drink of the week this week is going to be Baltimore's Finest, a national bohemian beer out of a bottle. Okay. Nice All and right. simple. Nice. And And what number was your clue? I have no clue. It was like four. I handed it over to you. Um, let me take a look at this really quickly. And uh, it's uh, clue number 300. Clue number 300. Play along at Play home. Play along at home. I am drinking. Well, I've stolen my drink of the week from you. You were kind enough to leave me a Tropicanon, which is the citrus IPA from Heavy Seas. I got to tell you, I love Heavy Seas yeah. and I love Loose Cannon. I have a, I have a Loose Cannon problem. Yeah. Uh, a quarter of the way through this bottle, I'm undecided. All right. So. Here's the offer I'm going to make. By the end of the show, if you're not happy and you still have some left, how about we do a tradesy halfway through the show? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm, I may like. Do you not trust where my mouth has been? Uh, Actually, that's a good point. I think that's an excellent segue to go into the medical wing. She better check for cold sores. With where your mouth is. Yes, exactly. So, uh, folks that have, I guess they're still on the medical wing, but look like they're coming off. Kevin Gossman, uh, looks like he'll probably get a start probably by the end of this week. Uh, there is talks about him maybe throwing another rehab session. He went three and a third, went 70 plus pitches. Uh, the question is, does the Orioles think they need to basically stretch him out further? Personally, I'd rather have him in the rotation right now rather than Vance Worley. So, when Vance Worley's turn comes up next time, I'm hoping that Kevin Gossman 
is taking his position at this time because really it can't be any worse. Uh, other names on the medical wing, Brian Mattis, who is going to have another rehab assignment in Frederick. He kind of got shellacked down in Frederick uh, in his last start. So uh, I, I guess fingers crossed. Is that the best we can, we can go from here? I hate that I'm going to do this. Yeah. Because you know how I feel about Brian Mattis. Yeah. Ice, he, ice flow. Just he should be push pushed out on an ice flow. Yeah. I think where Brian Mattis is right now, the results are not as important as the process. And the fact that he got shellacked on a rehab start really doesn't concern me. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that feels awful. Yeah. Can we also talk about somebody else that was a little banged up recently? Sure. Make me feel better about Adam Jones. Guy's got power. So he's got the power. That tells me that it wasn't an oblique injury. If he's coming back that quickly. I thought he was hitting the ball with some decent power all weekend long. Uh, the home run was, you know, an exclamation point on it. But it was his longest of his career. Yeah, I, I really felt confident looking at Adam Jones. We were talking about this on Friday watching. I was like, I really feel good about Adam Jones. And you at the point were like, eh, you know, he just keeps getting outs. And I'm like, yeah, but he's putting good contact against it. Whereas it's not like he's hitting weak dribblers against the against the ground. So um, I, that's a big concern lifted off my shoulder because it was an oblique injury. Those things have a tendency to nag and linger through the season. So hopefully Adam Jones escaped without doing too much damage to himself. And while you were busy being right on Friday, you also pointed out that all the things I was complaining about, like the play, uh, pitch selection and the, and the not being selective, was all a matter of timing, timing, being out of the lineup for so long, and all the things that physically matter, like the fact that he didn't wince every time he swung and the fact that he was hitting the ball with authority, even in his outs. Yeah. I think you're spot on. All right. Speaking about being spot on, let's go to 140 characters less on this week on the Twitters. So we shouldn't freak out yet, but how about now? This tweet comes from Mark Viviano. You can follow him at MarkWJZ. For all the hype and worry about MLB teams off to a hot or cold start, two weeks in, all 30 teams separated by just six and a half games. Hashtag long season. Look, I get this, and I understand it's a long season, but really, I mean... Six and a half games, yeah, whatever. I mean, okay, that's fine. And and really, I mean, what is the point in which we start panicking? I, I don't know that you can find one. I think if you go 10 games down, you can start panicking. I, that's that's my personal preference. But I, again, it's the aspect of no one's going to be 10 games down after you know two weeks. I mean, it's just not possible. Now, at the end of April, if you're 10 games down, I'm not saying you're completely out of it, but more than likely... You're done. And besides, we find ways to stay close in April. It's August that you have to be worried about. It's true. Next week, the next thing on the Twitter, a surefire recipe for liver disease. This comes from Ranting Oriole Bird. You can follow them at Ranting Oriole. Watching the O's with a drinking game tonight. Feel free to join along. It could get sloppy. Look, we'll post this on the website. There's a ton of stuff here. But just to kind of give some synopsis, Drink once for a single walk or RBI. Drink twice for a double or defensive double play. Take a nice gulp for a dinger. Finish your drink for a cycle or a perfect game. Take a shot for a grand slam, back-to-back jacks, or defensive triple play. And finish your drink and the person's drink to your right if J.J. Hardy or Matt Wieters hits a triple. I want to know what happens if J.J. Hardy gets thrown out trying to stretch mm. it to a triple. That's a good point. All right, next we're going to go to a tweet from David Piscoric, and you can find him at, of course, David Piscoric. Three down, 27 to go. Hashtag Orioles in all 30 parks. This is a, a picture we got from David and his family. O's fans decked out in orange, 
in Arlington. I love this. That's a brave man and a I brave family this. just to say, I'm going to go and basically go to every single stadium with your family, bunch of kids with them. And, you know, kudos to the wife as well for going along for the ride. So, David, our hats are off to you. Hey, thanks for sending that picture over. Maybe he's along for the ride. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, next tweet goes to, well, I like this one. Trumbo is all eyes. This goes to our good friend Dan Zambrowski. You can follow him at D Zambrowski. You know why I absolutely love Trumbo generally? These are the stats of a dude who's working hard to improve. And it is a table looking at outside the zone swing percentages and inside the zone swing percentages. In 2010, Trumbo had a 51.6% outside the zone swing percentage. As of 2016, he's down to 29.3. And even last year, he was at 37.4%. Trumbo has continued to improve his plate discipline over and over and over again. And that improved plate discipline obviously is paving dividends out early this season. Next, I want to go to a tweet that was just, well, it, it made my night. And the troll is strong with this one. This is a tweet from at Senators Ryan, who I assumed was a Rangers fan. Because um, when I was celebrating part of the Orioles' uh, victory over the Rangers, you know, in that one game. How dare you? Um, I, I got tweeted a picture of the Texas-Baltimore 30-3 to game. A game, by the way, that I was present for. I do not need a reminder. Um, but it turns out that this person is actually a, a Nationals fan mm. who was upset because there were Orioles fans on his timeline who were happy about ah, baseball. Gotcha. So to you... At Senators Ryan, I hope you find happiness in your life. Go pound yourself. Next, I want to just spend a very quick moment recognizing someone that we'll be sure to talk about all season, and that is the great Vin Scully. Today, April 18th. It was 66 years ago today. This tweet comes to us from Baseball Tonight, who tweets at BBTN. On this date in 1950, Vin Scully broadcast his first game for the Dodgers. It's incredible. It's incredible. That's absolutely incredible that he's been doing it for this long. Jake, I'm, I'm shocked that this didn't end up in, in the twat this week, but I've got to read a little bit of a diatribe uh, in terms of this, uh, of an actual thing when the Dodgers and the Giants were playing. So here's what Vince Scully says. That brings up Hunter Pence. Pence, the cleanup hitter, follows Posey, Panic, and Pagan in the Giants' order. Fastball over for a strike. The Giants' four Ps at the top of the order have a combined for four, six home runs this season. Sometimes four Ps are good. Other times they're not. The 0-1 bounces, and it's 1-1. One sign of a bladder infection in elderly men, some might say, I'm an elderly man, but I disagree, is taking up to four Ps in immediate succession and never feeling empty. Ball two. That's why it's important to see a urologist regularly. This half inning is brought to you by Carl's Jr. Try the Midnight Moonshine Burger with Applewood smoked bacon, garlic pepper, and moonshine glaze. Now at Carl's Jr. Back to my bladder. Fastball in the corner. It's two and two. Regular checkups allow me to feel comfortable calling games because I can't afford to take a second, third, or even fourth P while on the bench. The Giants have four Ps, but my ideal lineup has no Ps. Breaking ball got Pence looking, and that will do it for the fourth P. That's beautiful. <laughs> Every chance I get, I turn over to MLB Network because they will do live look-ins at the Dodgers game, and more often than not, Vince Scully's got the call. How does he, not get not, not get like a Pulitzer Prize? I mean, that is just absolute pure beauty. Dude I mean, is a treasure. <laughs> dude is an absolute treasure. If you do not enjoy Vince Scully, if you don't, if you don't get why everyone is heaping praise on this guy, you don't get baseball. Yeah. All right. Final tweet um, for the week um, goes to yes, this is good bullpen management. It comes from Mike Petrillo. You can follow him at Mike underscore Petrillo. Kimbrel enters in a one-one game in the eighth. 
bases loaded. This is the save situation. Yes. Wait, but wait a second. It's not a save situation. Yes, it is. What? The game is on the line. Oh. This is the most important part of the game. So by the statistics aspect, it doesn't equate to a save. But in terms of what you're supposed to do and bringing your best pitcher as your closer, this makes perfect sense. I'm going to argue with you on statistics. Yeah. I know you're talking about the sta- the the stat of save, save, yes. But when you talk about you know win probability and all that oh, kind of stuff, oh my goodness, I'm so happy. I just pulled out <laughs> yeah. win probability. Yeah. that's where it is. But here's my question: Kimbrel is uh, for which team? Uh, he is for the Red Sox, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that, this was against the Blue Jays, correct? That's correct. So I'm sure that John Gibbons, you know, made some sort of comment about address afterward, you know, because it didn't follow the rules. That's true. That's true. It's all about protocol. Goose Gossage would have said something too, but that's another matter. You know what? I think we really should just go ahead and lay out the topic that's been addressed by pretty much everyone in the Baltimore media recently, and that's the bullpen situation and its overuse and potentially also the impact that it, the starting rotation is having. Let's go through the brief cursory analysis of the bullpen situation after only two weeks. Census in Baltimore seems to be panicking again about the starting pitching, even though this is pretty much what we all should have expected. Starters are not getting deep into games, and the bullpen is taking a major chunk of the work. This seems familiar. Going back into the Twitter sphere, uh, last April in 2015, Steve Molesky posted Orioles have been outscored 24 to 9 during three game losing streak. Their starter has thrown five or third innings pitcher less now for six consecutive games. Cam Chat also posted a few days later, good news is Miguel Gonzalez finally broke that sub-six innings pitched Orioles starter streak. Bad forward earned runs in six innings pitched is a six ERA. Yeah, this is not news for Orioles fans that are actually paying attention. If you want to get up in a hizzy about it over a two-week sample size, that's fine. But this is pretty much what Orioles fans should have expected. Look, I'm not going to hear it be paint a rainbow on the matter. The rotation is going to be about the same as it was last year. It shouldn't shock any Orioles fans. It's the case. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's as bad as some people wanted to make it out to be. So uh, let's eliminate Chris Tillman's abrupt opening day start where he only went for two innings. And the starting pitcher on a whole is going five and a third innings pitch. I mean, that's overall, you know, not, not terrible, but certainly not great. But you look at historically how the Orioles have done since 2012, since Buck Showalter has basically taken them to be a dominant team in the American League and had the most amount of wins. And the team has only gone five and two-thirds of an innings in that time. So it's certainly not a, a dramatic change that they have to make in order to become a better team. You know, and when you put these uh, put these notes down for us, I was really surprised. Um, I know that starter length has not been a strength of the Orioles since you know 2012 started and that a lot of emphasis has been put on the bullpen and they've had to lean on the bullpen a lot but i didn't realize that the number was five and two-thirds innings and so if you look at what the orioles are accomplishing right now it's really not much different than the blueprint of what has had them be successful in the past i think my question is um you know we've got this very as you mentioned small sample very small sample size yeah do we think that there's a good chance that additions like kevin gosman 
could improve that matter, you know, and get to the point where they're at again that five point two, like they were, like they have been the last sure. several years. Do you think that maybe guys like Chris Tillman will bounce back and be a six inning guy? Do you think we can get another out or two out of? Abaldo Jimenez and and out of Giovanni Gallardo to the point where we're you know shaving some of those outs off of the bullpen. Look, I think you're going to make your biggest differences by taking Mike Wright and Vance Worley out of this rotation. Getting Kevin Gossman in that rotation, I certainly think is going to help in order to get the innings pitched up. Um, do I think Giovanni Gallardo is going to constantly be a six inning pitch starter? No, I don't think so. I think he's going to be right in that five to two thirds to six innings pitch. I don't think the starting rotation is as bad as we're making it to be. Buck has been very, I'm not saying reluctant is the best word, but very precise with how many batters he's facing, how many batters each pitcher is facing, and not making sure to tax them too much to say, okay, we're going to put you out there for 100 pitches outside of the situation on Saturday. But I, the one thing that I like to look at is I like to look at total batters face that are done by the starters. So last year, the Orioles faced with their starters, 24 and a half total batters faced throughout the entire season in the short sample size this year they're 23 and a half which is pretty much identical to previous seasons sure it's low other teams are doing better than they are but it's not outlandish and there's other teams in the past you know a few years that have done similar number of these teams include the tampa bay devil right sorry the tampa bay rays i almost got fined for saying that and also the <laughs> kansas city royals have also limited their starters to basically maximize their efficiency, maximize their health, but also get into their bullpens, which is a strength for them, and using matchups to basically get them ahead in, in games. And you put a, a graph together for us, and I'll actually make sure this is included in the show notes. But just as we were discussing, the Orioles are right in front of Kansas City and right behind New York, the Yankees, as far as the number of batters faced uh, by starting pitchers again in 2015 and you look at the teams that are built from the bullpen back and you've got baltimore kansas city and new york yeah and and uh you know we talked a little bit last year about uh the kansas city royals bullpen construction is this the new market inefficiency so to speak is this the model you know, right as in the in the era of expansion in an, an era where uh, we are not throwing kids out in the minor leagues to learn how to pitch you know a full complement a full game is this the point at which we're just going to have to deal with the fact that starters don't pitch as long as they used to, and you have to build a bullpen that can sustain that? Right. And I think another point that we need to make up is everyone was saying, a starter needs to go six innings. A starter needs to go six innings. A starter needs to go six innings. But Jake, if you look at the numbers from last year, only six teams average six or more innings pitch per game for their starters. And those are some great teams. You had players, teams like the White Sox and the Dodgers and stuff like that, some great starting rotations. But it's certainly not the norm. And I've talked about this before. The typical norm is going to be right around five and two-thirds innings pitched over an entire season. If the starters can go five and two-thirds of an innings pitched over the entire season, they have the chance to be a very good team. Because if you can get to the bullpen and keep it close, we're minimizing the damage. Look, the, the bullpen has been able to band together many seasons now with the Orioles starting pitching, basically pitching exactly like they are right now. And this year we've got the added benefit where you have a multitude of players in the bullpen right now that have the Norfolk shuttle. So you have a lot of options in terms of bringing up quadruple a players, whether it be Mike Wright 
or Tyler Wilson or Dries Despagne, who whoever it may be at the time, and you can shuttle them up here and say, all right, you're making you know a, a multi-inning relief pitch here, and you're just going to come in and you're just going to get your work done, and then we're going to shuttle you right back, back and forth, back and forth. I, I, I don't think this is as big of a deal for the Orioles as everyone is making it out to be. And something that you've talked about a lot in the past is multi-inning relievers yeah. and how valuable they are to the club and how much they can they can really stretch out a, a pitching staff. And I think that the Orioles are really set very well in multi-inning relievers in a way that they haven't been in the last couple of years. I mean, somebody is going to get shoved back into the pen, whether it be Worley uh, right might get sent to AAA. But back there, you've got guys that are capable of, of going more than just the one inning. I mean, you've got Bundy, who's, yep. who's been used in that way. Yep. Um, you mentioned uh, Despagne, who's in the minors, but he can be used that way. Brad Brock can go longer. TJ McFarlane slash Brad, Brian Mattis can give length. I, I think that... I'm not sure about Brian Mattis. I mean, I, can't, we, I don't know if we can put him completely up there because I think that's almost a mop-up duty for him, but... You stretch him out every spring. Why yeah. would... Oh. But Brad Brock is an excellent example. You know, I, I'm, we can include this graphic in, in our post. But I went through the 2015 numbers, and Brad Brock pitched in a ton of games last year that was greater than one inning pitch. And what that means is he was able to basically stretch in and pitch for two innings, basically. It may not have been two full innings, but he was able to come in, close out an inning, and then come out that the next inning and, and close it up. And even in some instances, Brad Brock was able to come out and actually pitch for a greater or, than, or equal to two innings pitch. So, he actually pitched in 15 games last year of greater than or equal than to two innings pitch, which is huge for this team. If you have a, a pitcher that's coming out and saying, I'm going to give you five innings, and Brad Bach is able to come in there and give you the sixth and seventh inning, it sets you up perfectly for an O'Day in Britain. That's the kind of options that this team needs to have. And I think the options are on that team, just like we just discussed. You've got Tyler Wilson. You've got Dylan Bundy. You've got TJ McFarland. You got Vance Worley. You've got a ton of multi-inning relievers that are able to somewhat stretch out this rotation that can't go deep into games. And to a certain aspect, I think that's how the Orioles have kind of situated their bullpen to a certain aspect this year. I think that's also somewhat a reason why Brian Mattis isn't being pushed quickly back into the bullpen aspect because while Lugie is valuable, to a certain point, I think having a multi-inning relief pitcher may be more valuable right now for the Orioles at this point of the season, but also potentially for the rest of the season going forward. Let me ask you this about the back end of the rotation. Do you foresee a situation where the Orioles will be swapping out their fifth and maybe even their fourth starter for the long inning guys? Can you see a situation in which, depending on who's got the hot hand, who's more effective, you could see guys like uh, Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson swapped out every couple of starts or a Vance Worley and somebody else back there. I don't want to necessarily say that Bundy is going to be starting games this year, but do you think that you could have kind of a a, a bullpen shuttle, if not a Norfolk shuttle, of guys that are you know giving a start here here and there? We actually talked about this earlier this season, and um, we were talking about could the Orioles put together almost like a six-headed monster to a certain aspect and basically put together a starting pitching stuff. It's kind of similar to like we discussed with 2012 where – you know, the Orioles never really had a, a dominant pitcher on that rotation. And they kind of just shuttled a bunch of guys together. Even Steve Johnson got, I think, two or three starts mm-hmm. in there. I, I think it's very possible, and I think we've seen it earlier this season, where it's Vance Worley has now gotten two starts. And it's kind of this whole thing of, I think eventually we'll see Tyler Wilson make a few starts. I think eventually we'll see Dylan Bundy make a few starts. Um, I, I think that we'll see Adrisman Despagne make a start or two. 
I, I certainly think that it's going to be uh, a situation where uh, the fourth and fifth spots in this rotation are not going to see that typical 28 to 30 games started. I think we're going to see a lot of people starting eight to nine games, and it's going to be a hodgepodge in order to get to the, get to the 162, which is not a bad thing, but if that's the case and that's what you're going to do, it certainly kind of impacts the whole aspect of multi-inning relievers. Personally, I'd rather them potentially stick with a player or two that they think could be a decent fourth or fifth starter and then basically say the rest of you are going to be multi-inning relief pitchers going forward and we're not going to mess with a good thing. If you're me right now, I'm putting um, Kevin Gossman back in the rotation and I'm putting Tyler Wilson out there just to see what he can do. I've been really impressed with his stuff so far this season. I'm not willing to say that he's going to take a big step forward and be a dominant pitcher, but I think he could easily be a fourth or fifth starter, just like Miguel Gonzalez was in previous seasons. I, I'm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the thing is, is that they can make those moves without losing anybody from the organization. Right. They can put uh, Vance Worley in the bullpen and they can send Mike, Mike Wright to the minors and, and they can try that as best they can with Tyler Wilson in that fifth spot. And if it doesn't work out, you just cycle it through. And again, yeah. play the hot hand. Let somebody pitch who's who's not as terrible that particular day. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with optioning players. And the other thing I want to come back and point to is, let's look at the starting rotation once again. And I hate to pull out numbers, but I think we need to kind of give no, this consideration. No, you don't. So for years upon years now, we've talked about the ERA versus FIP. And FIP is fielding independent pitching, which basically looks at pitchers in a vacuum. And typically, Orioles pitchers... Any fielding independent vac- pitching vacuum without the defense have been, how do I say this, absolutely abysmal. And everyone has come back and said, well, you can't look at FIP because you've got to take into account the Orioles' defense, and that's really saving them runs. Well, so far in this early season, that does not to be appear to be the case. The ERA this season for the starters is 5.14, and their FIP is 3.59. So it basically has flipped itself completely on its head. Now, People that want to come back and point to the defense in previous seasons, I don't know if I can point right now, right this year, to the defense and saying, yep, the defense has been horrible. That's why their FIP is so low, but their ERA is up. There is one stat I think that's interesting, and that's leaving men on base or LOB percentage. And it's at 62.2%. Typically, that number is right around 72%. So the Orioles are doing very poorly lately with leaving men on bases, which personally, I think it's a major deviation and a major fluke. I think the Orioles starters, if they continue this strikeout rate and this walk rate that they have, I think the Orioles starters could actually be a pretty decent rotation right now. And again, all you need is decent. Yeah. You know, we as we talk about, well, let's just throw Tyler Wilson in there and then yeah. let's throw Vance. We're not needing them to be aces. No, this team is not going to be a top 10 starting pitching. There's nothing you can do to make it a top 10. If it could be in, you know, 13 to 17, Oh my gosh! And and the, that would be amazing with this offense. And the offense and the and the bullpen can couple that back together. I I agree that right now in the in the few in the eleven games that we've had, that the stats are are in that deviation mode. Let me ask you this: Is BABIP at all related to what we're seeing in the le, uh, left on base category? Because it seems like a lot of the starts that I've seen. Uh, and Tillman is a perfect example. Just got knocked around. It was like watching the Kansas City series all over again. I think that kind of thing will even itself out over the course of the season. But right now, they're being had. I think it's impacting it a, a, a little bit in terms of the Babbitt series. I think we saw that a lot in the Rangers series of like, oh my gosh, look at all those balls just 
fall unexpectedly here and unexpectedly there. I I just think that you know we you can't make these massive judgments. I mean, their BABIP right now for their starters is three thirty five, which seems extremely high. Um, I think we have to let things kind of play out and progress. But overall, in terms of the metrics that I think actually stand out over an entire season, I'm really liking the way the Orioles are commanding uh, the plate um, and, and kind of letting the ball land as it sees fit and allowing their defense do the work for them. Um, am I going to paint it as a rainbow again? No, it's not a unicorn. But the Orioles rotation is actually doing better, in my opinion, than a lot of people are giving credit for right now. And certainly it's probably better than the results have shown in the very early part of the season. Absolutely. But again, they're not as bad as what people are saying and saying, oh my gosh, this team is terrible. This is about what you basically have seen for the past few years. And the Orioles have actually done pretty well with rotations like this in the past. Wow. My new co-host, Jim Hunter, a podcast revolution. It's all about career ERA and grit. Okay. I'm sorry. That's Steve Molesky. My bad. Uh, you know, if we're going to get hopeless optimism, I think we need to get one of our sister wives on the show. Alan Smith, though so much more, is half of the Baltimore Ons podcast. Baltimoreans, our sister wife podcast on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, is, well, let's face it, much better than anything you'll hear on this program. Sam and Alan bring us their analysis of the Orioles and mix it with a flair of the political, a flair of the dramatic, and above all, the highly entertaining. Alan Smith is also one of our favorite people in Orioles fandom. Alan, welcome back to Bird's Eye View. Gentlemen, it is so good to be here, and I—I uh, I, I don't think I've ever been able to say in my memory ten games into the season with your league-leading Baltimore Orioles. That's right. Your let's forget about that thing that happened in Texas, but really good Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> I'm not worried about the thing that happened in Texas. I, I know that it happened in an unfortunate way that allowed everyone that like dreaded 48-hour window where we're talking we about the JFK assassination, and, right? Like, think about our things, but I'm not worried about it because the, the offense is too good. I think, I think that we can, we're, we're going to win more 10, six games than we're going to lose. All right. We're getting way ahead of ourselves here in terms of Orioles okay. baseball talk. Okay. We've got to get the most important part out of the entire interview. What's your drink of the week? <laughs> well, um, I have been, I spent all day, uh, tabulating footnotes, um, which is, probably one of the more excruciating things that a human being can do. So my drink of the week is just whiskey. Um, I'm drinking the Angel's Envy, mm. which uh, is a delightful um, a delightful bourbon, and it's uh, with one rock. Wow. An actual rock. An actual rock. Yeah, an actual rock. That's it's funny because that, that sounds like a uh, mid-August Orioles-inspired drink. Again? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a mid-August Orioles-inspired drink. Oh, yeah. Straight no chaser. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Alan, it's it's baseball season. As you noted, the Orioles are flying high, at least for the time being. Let me just, before we get into the Orioles, how great is it to have baseball back in your life? You know, it, it's, it's, like a, it's like a heartbeat. It's such a like lovely, steady thing 
that you just like I, I just forgotten that I was missing it. I'd forgotten how much I was missing it until it came back. And now, man, I, you know, I I have not been doing as good a job. I have I did, I've not been able to go to any games like you gentlemen have, but it just just like checking in a couple times, like watching a couple innings here and there, staying up late to stream a whole thing if I've been able to avoid it on the internet. It's just lovely. It's it's it recenters the patterns of daily existence. And God, let me pull the curtain back a little bit. Do, are you solely focused on the Orioles, or when baseball comes back, do you find yourself, you know, taking note of the league at large? Well, I think that more and more, I have become solely Orioles focused. Um, I think I used to be more of a fan of baseball, but as I have, I think maybe had less time overall to focus on the sport, and also as the ability to connect with the Orioles beyond the box score. So getting to hear more about the individual players, getting to be more connected to the Orioles community of of sister wife podcasters and of internet chat rooms and all that sort of thing. The Orioles have sort of grown to take up all of my, all of my baseball space. I find that really interesting because during the dark period, I couldn't look any further than the Orioles for fear of having my heart broken, right? So, like, <laughs> all of the all the news and notes from baseball at large were of teams that were capably run with players that could actually play the game and who didn't make their fans cry on a nightly basis. And so I just steeled myself against the league. I didn't watch the playoffs. I was just an Orioles or bust and so it was my experience that when 2012 hit, it was okay to love baseball again because the Orioles were part of the game, part of the community, mm. and not just the butt of jokes in Sports Center. Do you feel as a result that you now have a sense of of like the best prospects on another team system, or have you gotten to that level, or is it more just sort of like? No. Checking in on who's leading in the in NL East. It's far more the latter, but it's also the type of deal that I can enjoy the successes of other clubs more. I can enjoy the successes of other players in, in the very like in, in the very pure love of baseball way, in a way that I couldn't while the Orioles were terrible because I was just so angry with So psychologically you were basically like an ostrich and you had buried your head in the sand and, and you were afraid <laughs> Of the lion sure. that may come by and eat you once again. So instead, you're just like, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. And uh, if I bury my head in the sand, at least I won't know that I'm being eaten alive on a daily basis. That's yes. Okay. All yeah, right. You cope however you have to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that's what we're here for at Bird's Eye View is to help people cope. <laughs> So speaking about coping, the Orioles are off to a pretty impressive start. Um, they started a like perfect 7-0, and now they sit at 8-3. and uh, Alan, uh, me and Jake were, how do you say this, rather pessimistic entering into the season. I think I predicted 78 wins. Jake predicted 79 wins. Alan, has your impressions of the team changed whatsoever in this brief two-week sample size? Uh, yes. I'm not bullish yet. Um, I still think that all of the analysis that everyone was kicking around at the beginning of the season is true. And fundamentally, I'm really worried about the capacity of this starting rotation to get us anywhere meaningful. Um, but, God, the, 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 the lineup is way better than I thought. I thought that Trumbo was 
all hat and no cattle. And he is, uh, well, at least and I, I know he's a, he's a quick starter. So who knows if we can count on this all season, but holy moly, that is a very exciting one through nine. And so what I had, um, I, I had sort of talked myself out of the Orioles and I was taking a very cautious, um, the opposite of what I was doing last year when I came in, you know, believing this was a World Series or bust team. And this year I was trying very hard to be removed. And as a result, with expectations as low as they were, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really positively, uh, positively surprised by this team. So and he, I think that so in I terms think of in the AL East with no team that seems to be particularly good, there's no reason why this Orioles team can't just, you know, power its way, literally power its way to a title. Well, do you think that's the storyline so far this season that the Orioles' power can basically overcome any of their deficiencies? Or do you think the story still is going to be like it has in previous season where, hey, we've got a bunch of starting pitchers and they're all not very good? You know, what is the storyline thus far that you think is going to shape the Orioles' season? Yeah, I, I, I'm worried that the Orioles, the, the, the overall storyline, the narrative that we're going to have for the rest of the year is, um, three or four games where, you know, three or four games in a row, multiple times where our starting pitcher can't get out of the fourth inning, where the bullpen is just wrung out trying to keep up with the fact that our starters can't really go. And even though the bats get hot for one inning, you know, starting pitching is always going to be good. Pitching is always going to be good hitting in the long run. Um, and certainly over a seven game series, but there is something about that puncher's chance, right? Where, you know, you're down by three going into the eighth inning and all three people coming up could hit solo home runs and probably, you know, it, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise if two of them did, which is always going to be exciting. So I, I think that the narrative is going to be our starting pitching sucks. Uh, and that's going to be the thing that eventually sinks the season, but I was more positively impressed by the hitting than I thought I was going to be. All right. So the Orioles sit at eight and three in, uh, in first place in the AL East for the time being. They've, uh, mm-hmm. they've, they've, uh, there's been some questions about the strength of their early schedule. The next few series include the Blue Jays, the Rays, who they've played before, the Royals, and the surprising Chicago White Sox. So my question to you is, what do you expect to see from the Orioles over the next four series or so? Do you think that they will rise to meet those challenges, or do you think that they will be uh, exposed by those challenges? I think we're going to have to... I think this is going to be a whiplash season, y'all. I think we got to buckle up, because I think that there's going to be a lot of times when you go on Orioles Twitter and say we go and get just absolutely demolished by the White Sox and people are going to be tearing their hair out and gnashing their teeth and it's going to look really dark. And then there's going to be a series where, I mean, I think we can beat Toronto. I have not been particularly impressed with their starting rotation either. And right now, Encarnacion and Batista aren't hitting. So, you know, bring the ruckus. But I think it's going to be like, I think over this, Set. I think the the good tr- times are going to continue, but there's going to be you know ten games that we're going to this this team is very capable of a ten game losing streak. Yeah, I mean the thing is though, you think back to that seven and zero start, 
And that 7 0 start yeah. really provides somewhat of a luxury for the teams. And we talked about this in previous seasons. And I know you guys have talked on your show is it never seemed like the Orioles could go on prolonged winning streaks in any season, but it just didn't seem like Buck's nature right. to go on prolonged winning streaks. So to start off the season with a 7 0 winning streak, even if it was a seven uh, win win streak anytime during the season, that's a huge benefit and caveat. You put in perspective just to start the season. If the Orioles go 500 for the rest of the season, they're a playoff team. I mean, it's as simple as that. So you just need to go 500 and you're a playoff team. Having money in the bank of that kind of win streak, you're right. It gives you it gives you so much space. And, you know, we, we had a game rained out in Texas. But if you split that Texas series 2-2, then those two pitching meltdowns that we had don't really matter. You know, if you can win... Five, you know, two out of four in Texas, and then come back and win two out of three here. Then this team is gonna is gonna absolutely dominate in the, in that stretch. And I think that that's one of the weird things about what is it right now? Machado, Jones, Davis, Trumbo. Those four give you every second or third inning a chance to have a really crooked number. So they're gonna win a lot of games that way. I, I think you're right that. You get a couple more winning streaks. I mean, what was the statistic I saw that seven and O teams, um, the last four teams that started seven and O made it to the World Series? Yeah, over the basically past twenty years, it came out to be like forty eight percent of the teams that finish go seven and O go to the, go to the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean that's that's <clears throat> the, the 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 you're going to lose sixty games, you're going to win sixty games seems to be true, and when you can get those winning streaks in there. I'm, I'm willing to talk myself into it, you guys. I don't know if it's stupid, but I'm willing to talk myself into it. I am willing to listen to you talk yourself into it. I, I'm <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. Now, so let's get stupid. <laughs> let's let's talk about let's talk about some things that I'm I'm not so comfortable with. Um, okay. Alan Smith, uh, noted Orioles podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to take your your podcasting uh, analysis hat off. And I want okay. you to put your fan hat on, whatever that hat may look like. I want you to... I'm sure it's a beanie. I want you to don yourself <laughs> in fan garb as I ask you the following question. As a fan, which departure pains you more, Steve Pierce or Miguel Gonzalez? Steve Pierce. What? <clears throat> Why no Steve doubt. Pierce? No doubt. Um, I think it's a series of things. I think that the um, Steve Pierce comma Steve Holt from Arrested Development Celebration was my favorite thing possible to do while watching a game. I think that Steve Pierce harkens back to a time when we had a series of people named Steve on the team, and he was the last of Team Steve to go. So it was uh, he, he was a connection to maybe a, a kinder, gentler time when we rostered people like Steve Tolleson. And there's something about a man who is shaped fundamentally like a trash can being able to play a professional sport that I think we can all identify with. And I really, I, I, I loved him. I loved him very much. Well, you can still love him whenever he comes back to, uh, <clears throat> whenever he comes back yeah. to Camden Yards. Next, next painful question, Alan. Okay. Um, you have what can only be described as a, um, a penchant for Jeremy Guthrie. Um, <laughs> and, and that, oh. And that penchant has has shown its has reared its ugly head, if it will, if you will, in your jersey choice. ALCS yeah. game number one. 
Um, and we know this about you. Yeah. Lifelong yeah. fans and listeners of Baltimoreans will, will know this about you. Um, so my question to you is this. When you saw that Jeremy Guthrie was available, was there a, a glimmer of hope in your heart that he would find his way to Norfolk? Oh, every Shakespearean tragedy <laughs> or comedy follows the same arc, right? You have a... Um, a moment at the beginning where you have a uh, you, you get to know the characters in the situation. You have a nadir. You have a darkest moment that you believe will be totally irredeemable. And then, if it's a comedy, you end up with that sort of really uh, cathartic final passage where everything works out in the end, and you can laugh. And man, I was hoping for a cathartic ending with Jeremy Guthrie. I wanted him back. I wanted him to, you know, come up and have like one game in the playoffs where um, a starting pitcher, you know, came in and like tripped on the mound in the second inning and fractured a kneecap, and we needed Guthrie to go six innings in the middle of like the, uh, a, a playing game or something like that, and he comes in and delivers, and we have that cathartic, we've all forgotten that the O's aren't royal T-shirt existed moment with him. But I don't think he's a good enough pitcher, so, you know. So you were looking for the plot of, like, a rookie of the year or something. You, you, oh, you wanted to watch something... Absolutely. Something heartwarming Baseball, by Baseball Disney. Baseball is all about those, those narrative arcs, and to have the chance of redemption would have been glorious. So baseball is all about Shakespearean tragedy, everybody. That's according mm-hmm. to Alan Smith. <laughs> First time by the word nadir has <laughs> ever come up. the in... Orioles pitching development. Here. Yes, exactly. All right, so one of the signature Baltimoreans episodes, and by far our favorite of the season, is the nickname audit. Um, without giving too much away, what mm-hmm. new Oriole do you think will provide the best addition to the 2016 nickname audit? Well, I mean, I think that the most time and energy in the lab, the most sort of time and brainstorming that we're doing so far in preparation for that episode has been around Joey. because that was such a surprise that he wasn't on any of our preseason lists. So we didn't really realize we had to come up with a nickname for him. So I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of debate, a lot of notes being passed um, around what, what Joey's nickname should be. Um, but I also feel as though as a, um, as a Baltimore on's podcast, we sort of failed to come up with a really good nickname for Manny Machado. Hmm. The, the internet, the Orioles internet has done a very good job with this, you know, and his first name is just so delightfully, delightfully chantable. And Manny has become, it's almost, he's almost Brazilian, right? Like he's almost on a first name basis at this point, like a Brazilian soccer player. But I'm glad that's the direction you went with that. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't sit right with me that we haven't ever put a really Baltimore on a nickname up for him that the, that the world liked. So that's another one that I'm, I'm worried about. All right, I'm I'm going to throw this out here, and and you guys can come up with better better ideas. But this this one's been eating at me for a while. Um, Odrizum or Despagne? To yes. me, oh my god, you nailed it! I I didn't want to say that because I was not going to pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> so to me, that dude sounds like he is a villain in a Dumas novel, right? <laughs> and and so every time I hear his name, I just think all for one and one for all, and and I <laughs> oh, that's really. Good. I really feel like it would be meaningful uh, to our species 
if we could chant all for one and one for all as Adrizamer Despagne took the mound in Baltimore? Do we have any reason to believe that that will happen? Nope. Actually, it's actually funny because I actually just tweeted out a pitch grip of Odrisman Despagne and his Ethius pitch, and it actually kind of looks like he's like almost holding like a saber in his hand, kind of. So, <laughs> so Jake, you've stumbled on the perfect type of Baltimore on the nickname, which is like a little bit of free association, a loose literary reference, and then something that that makes you feel at the end. And I think that that is perfect. So it has so filled the rubric. <laughs> Also, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tried and true rubric. You you start you start with some like, what does that noise make you think? You add a little bit of uh, you know, uh, sophomore year of college literary analysis, and then you just you know we wrap it up in a bow of feelings, and then you hopefully get an entire stadium of people to chant all for one and one for all on the off chance that a quadruple A player ever starts for the Orioles this year. To be fair, you also missed the step where a lot of gin was involved. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You, Sam's a port man, but I, I see where you're going with that. You brought him up, so I have to ask you. It's it's not even in the notes. I'm, I'm spitballing here. Uh, Joey Rickard is he the yeah. second coming? Is he just a guy? Where is he on the hero scale? You know, he doesn't. If, if he can, the the thing about sorry, that again. The thing about Joey Rickard that I am the most impressed with is he looks to me like Nick Markakis has come back to the Orioles and how he works counts and how he takes pitches. And the last two games in Texas, this was not the case, but the first eight times I watched him, I don't think he had a bad at bat. And if we can just get like, I don't need him to be a hero. I just need him to be a leadoff guy who gets on base every so often. Like, like Hunsu Kim you know? basically. Yeah. And then that'd be fine. If, if if that was if he was number one and Kim ends up in our number nine slot and basically or, just like sets the table for all the big boppers from two on down, or Kim just goes away, perfect. You think? What do you think? Is uh, he? Is he? I, I, is I think done? if you're going to pick a Hunsu Kim name, I think it's going to be deported basically for oh, for the big man. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Alan, I really feel that the difference between your show and ours is that um, we go out on low notes. And so <laughs> I think uh, I think we are about to deport you here. Um, oh, no. Where where on the web can we find you and the Baltimoreans? I think the best place to look right now is at the morons on the Twitter sphere. Um, that's the place where I can guarantee you all of our new content and especially the uh, nickname episode will be coming up soon. But like you both alluded to, that is the next thing on the docket for us. And we do solemnly swear, even though our production has been low so far, that we are going to put out a nickname episode very soon. So anyone who's listening to this who has a burning nickname, get on the Twitters and fire it off to us at Be Morons. In fact, don't even tell us who it's named for. Just fire <laughs> off the nickname and see if we can guess. Tweet them and do if it. we can't, hashtag O's nicknames. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Now, Alan, you may not be aware of this, but you and Sam were the very first guest on the Baltimore on, or on the uh, Bird's Eye View program. Did you did you oh, know that's that? Lovely. Y- I don't think I did know that. You were the very first guest that we had. We had to figure out how to use the phones uh, just so that we could talk to you. Um, it was actually pretty cool because we just you guys 
did turn the handle. Do, did we do the uh, how to speak Balmer on our our, our yeah. air or yours? Yeah, that was we here. did it on your show. <laughs> nice. Uh, from that day here forward, I'm pretty sure you guys are my favorite guests. Thank you so much for doing this. Lovely, guys, and I look forward to listening to you all year. And thank you for holding this down because uh, it's 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 more and more fun every time I tune in. All right, Alan, we'll talk to you soon. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Go O's. That's right. It's time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of Orioles baseball. As we do most weeks, I'm going to go first so that Scott can rant at the end. And so for my good this week, I'm going to go with Nolan Reimold, and not because of the homer. I'm going to go with Nolan Reimold because I think that he's been doing a bang-up job in limited plate appearances and limited playing time. And if he can be good off the bench and come in and not be cold, he adds an incredible dynamic to this team. So if Nolan Rimmel can keep doing what he's doing recently, he will be good for this team. All right, my good for the week. I was actually going to take chalk originally with Mark Trumbo. Mark Trumbo definitely deserves a hat tip. Um, co-player uh, of the week in terms of, of the American League. Cosplayer of the week? That's amazing. Yeah. But I think I'm going to have to come back and change this in the notes. I'm going to have to go with J.J. Hardy for my uh, with my good for the week. J.J. Hardy has been putting on an offensive show so far to start this season. Uh, just in terms of everything going on, two home runs so far this early this part of the season. And remember, it's not the length of the dong. It's how you use it. 360 on-base percentage, 452 Woba, and a 206 weighted runs created plus. This is a person that was one of the worst batters in all the American League last year. And now he's throttling the ball again. You know, I came, we came back and said anything offensively that J.J. Hardy brings is a pure luxury at this point. And J.J. Hardy is bringing the luxury right now to the Baltimore Orioles. And even if he never gets that home run stroke back, I will take the doubles power. Exactly. Definitely. Really, at that point, if he can get on base a little bit more, it's kind of Brian Roberts all over again. But I like the pop. Um, But as much as I like to give some hassle in saying he shouldn't be batting that high up in the order, uh, it's not not a bad move right now. So that's uh, J.J. Hardy, tip the cap. Very impressive, sir. Keep it up. All right, I'm going to move ahead to bad. For this week, my bad is TJ McFarland. I know he came in not the best situation, but that seventh inning was just a disaster on Saturday against the Rangers, and it just is not going to get it done. Came in with runners on base, allowed a single, a ground out that scored a ball. He intentionally walked the player and then gave up a double, which gave the game away, and things just came out after that much worse. Look, I know that you can't be perfect every time out of the gate. I get all that. I am the one that crows about how TJ McFarlane is a useful arm in a major league bullpen. He didn't get it done on Saturday, and so he gets my bad. Jake, my bad's going to go to Mike Wright. You know what? Mike Wright didn't really do anything, but unfortunately there's a cloud hanging over his head, and that cloud is weather. And the weather that basically continues to delay his starts, it's almost like He's cursed to a certain regard. And as Mike Wright is a Harry Potter fan, I decided to go and look to see if there was any spell out there that potentially could be 
used to get rid of uh, such a curse that uh, would cause this weather. So there's a part in uh, book number six where Arthur Weasley is talking to Ron Weasley, who is actually uh, just taken some uh, uh, some polymorph juice and has basically gone. That's, I would mock you, but it's polyjuice potion. Uh, poly we have poison. gone to such a dark yes, place here. Sorry. It's been a while since I've read Harry Potter. But anyway, he basically is talking to his dad and he's talking about the aspect of a, a storm being in the office. And uh, Arthur Weasley mentions, oh, you should use the Mediolo Jinx Recanto uh, to remove the storm in the office. So, Mike Wright, you may want to work on the enunciation of that spell a little bit and uh, try to get rid of that weather that is currently over your head. Wow. This is... Uh... <laughs> This is the most bird's eye view, bird's eye view ever. <laughs> All right. for, for my ugly, I am gonna I'm gonna be as generic as possible here. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm gonna say that my ugly for this week is over aggression on the base paths. Yeah, I saw a player who I will not name try to stet- stretch a double into a triple and got gunned out. I watched another player in the same game again. This player shall remain nameless tried to steal a base at third and got gunned out for the third out of the inning. The way this offense is situated, second base is okay. You don't, the the difference between second base and third base is negligible. There is no reason to stretch for that triple. First of all, if you are a player that I make fun of coming around third with windmill, never ever try to take third. If you've got blisters on your feet, do not try to take third base. Again, I'm not singling anybody out, but for me, the ugly this week was over-aggression on the base paths. I think that the Orioles created outs in an area that should have been an area of strength. Get on base. If you're on second base with this lineup, you're going to get driven in, especially because there isn't anybody that can't score from second base, including mr jj hardy and even jj hardy inside of a lead uh refrigerator on the back of matt weeders all right so the ugly this week has to be buckshoulder right after seeing that game on saturday it was an absolute train wreck you've only got getting to the sixth inning i think we were all pretty much nail biting at that point but when he gets to the 16 you're just like well buck knew what he was doing uh just proves us that we're all wrong and then the seventh inning starts and you're just like why isn't anyone coming in no one is was up in the bullpen. What's going on here? And Giovanni Gardo promptly walks and then doubles, and then he gets pulled from the game. Look, it made no sense whatsoever going into that situation. Just to put in this perspective, and we're going to come back to the whole bullpen talk we had before, Tyler Wilson hadn't been used since uh, April 13th. Dylan Bundy hadn't been used since April 12th, and TJ McFarlane hadn't been used since April 14th. They were all available. I don't understand why Giovanni Gariotto did not come out in the seventh inning. And I don't think anyone in Baltimore quite understands it. Look, I understand Buck came out at the game and said, I didn't want to use O'Day or Brock or Britton. But if that was the case, and you didn't want to use them the next day, why the heck did you bring him in the night beforehand when you had such a large lead? Why wouldn't you just sit, hold one on and say, you know what? We're going to hold on to you for the time being because we really don't need you. Really, really frustrating. Really feels like a game that got away. Really feels like Buck overmanaged himself to a certain regard. And, uh, you know, I normally don't call Buck out on these things. Buck is normally one of the best in the business in terms of, A, working with his bullpen. You can look at the win probability added for his bullpen. It's, you know, top in baseball uh, pretty much since 2012. Buck Showalter deserves a tap tip of the cap. Something is off this year in the bullpen from the dry humping of Dylan Bundy getting up and down, up and down the bullpen. It just doesn't feel like 
Buck really has that control so far in the season. I'm hoping it's just an anomaly and maybe you know there's some swelling in his knee from all the cold weather. But Buck, clean your ish up and get your stuff together. It's a long season. Let's hope for the best. This is our first Buck show Walter is ugly. It is. Wow. Yeah. That burns. Yeah. Sorry, Nate. <laughs> All right. With that, why don't you go ahead and um why don't you go ahead and blow the save, Jake? All right. I am gonna blow the save this week, and I'm going to uh I'm gonna just say this. May, the month of May, offers 16 home dates on the Orioles schedule. Now, I don't want to go and 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 pull a Pedro Martinez because I think there are many distinctions between uh, Pedro Martinez and myself. But today he can was, actually throw a fastball. Yes. Okay. He can throw a changeup faster than I can throw a fastball. Today was 81 degrees in Baltimore. It was gorgeous. We're beyond the "it's cold and dreary" excuse for attendance. The first place Baltimore Orioles should be supported by a fan base who appreciates a team that is no longer mired in the midst of a 14-year losing streak. We have a real baseball team in this city, and they may not be able to pitch their way out of a paper bag until the bullpen kicks in, but this is an exciting team that will win ball games. You can go out and watch the Orioles on a day-in and day-out basis and expect to see a winner. So go see the O's in May. So like 15,000 people are going to show up this week. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that was depressing. Well, with that, well, with that, I'm I'm out of anything else to say. Uh, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and go see a Baltimore Orioles baseball game. So, Jerry Rickard, I'm feeling cheeks. Yeah, yeah, cheeks. Because that one girl came back in the College World Series and grabbed it. That's a really good one. Yeah. I still like Rick Astley. I, Rick I Astley. Like the, I like the Rick. Maybe it could be both with Cheeks, Cheeks and Rick Astley. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Cheeks. Cheeks. Good Harry Potter talk this week, though. No problem. Thanks. Well done. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.